morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jenny Lam and my co-presenter today is Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Now, crypto platform JPEX is being investigated for alleged fraud as authorities look into complaints from over 1,600 people about losses amounting to a staggering $1.2 billion. Police say the unlicensed platform, promoted by social media influencers and promising impossibly high yields, had hoodwinked inexperienced investors into pumping their cash into opportunities that were simply too good to be true. The scandal comes three months after a new regulatory framework governing virtual assets came into force in Hong Kong to rein in the cryptocurrency Wild West that had seen spectacular collapses and rampant fraud in recent years. So how does the JPEX case affect the big picture? Does it strike a blow to Hong Kong's ambitions of becoming a crypto hub? Or does it mark the death now of the anything-goes days of unregulated crypto trading? And after 9.45 this morning, we'll be talking about Bring Your Dog to Work Camp so let us know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. So joining us in the studio this morning is Mofis Chan. He's chairman of Hong Kong Securities and Futures Professionals Association. And on the line with us now is Johnny Ng. He's a legislator and he's been helping some of the alleged victims. Good morning, Mr. Ng. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So tell us what you have learned from some of these victims. I think um, I would uh, uh, receive some uh, response and wisdom call me since last uh, Saturday. And some of them have lost around uh, a few million dollars. And uh, they are very young and also the, some are professionals. Uh, the one thing they want to do is want to report to police and want to get back their money. Yeah. Now, so one of the things that uh, the chief executive said uh, yesterday is that the investors, the public in general, needs to be more educated about these platforms. Um, what is it that your alleged victims that you, you've come across, what did they not know that could have um, prevented this happening to them? Okay, eventually this platform is not new in Hong Kong. Uh, since uh, two years ago, they did a lot of uh, marketing, like uh, doing the public uh, advertisements in MTR, and also some outdoor exposure, like the public transportations. So there's some uh, investor believe it may be the, the, the licensed one uh, soon. Uh, also, this organization claim they are applying the license from SFC. At the same time, they engage a number of KOLs or celebrities to promote uh, the, the, the products and service of them. And also they set up a lot of uh, offline OTC, just like exchange uh, money shops, and then provide a number of education class. Then um, the victims, like uh, the investor, believe it is uh, will or will be a, a uh, true uh, exchange. Now, uh, one of the victims that we talked on the phone with uh, and, and preferred not to be named. Um, this person told us that when um, he or she uh, decided to withdraw the money on the 14th of September, um, he was very scared because they were charging him 999 US. DT, so these are tethered tokens for withdrawing a thousand USTD, um, and until now, the, the 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 platform doesn't allow them to withdraw anything. Is that is that pretty much the story that you've heard from victims? 
Uh, yes, I heard that. Uh, at the first, uh, after the issue of the warning from SFC, uh, the platform, I think, they got a lot of uh, people who want to withdraw the money. So they changed the policy of uh, 1,000 uh, US dollar per day and charge with 99.9% of the uh, handling charge, which is, which is really uh, not be- unbelievable, right? And then, uh, but now the, the platform is still keeping uh, asking people they are still working on, but no one can uh, get back their money. So I think this uh, may be uh, from the very beginning is a scam. Uh, but not a really uh, real trading platform, I think. Um, and from what I can understand, the, the victim that we talked to, he told us that the only way that they could communicate with JPEX was via WhatsApp, or sometimes they could be asked to fill in a Google form. Why is it that these people would spend so much money on somebody that you basically have no physical contact with? As I mentioned before, that uh, because this platform... Uh, really did a lot of promotions, a lot in, not only in Hong Kong, they did a lot of uh, promotion in Taiwan as well. Uh, doing a very big event in boxing, uh, uh, engaged a number of celebrities in Taiwan as well. So the peoples uh, in the regions, uh, they think this platform really have uh, enough power and, and resources to do the business. So that uh, they think uh, the, the, the interest rate from them is very high, around 20% of returns uh, by annuals. So this uh, extraordinary high uh, investment return, which attract a lot of people want to get uh, fast money, I think. Right. And uh, Mr. Ng, I just want to ask you about uh, what you've been uh, calling on recently. You've been calling on authorities uh, to publish a watch list of uh, cryptocurrency exchanges that are operating in Hong Kong without a license, as well as those that are in the process of applying for one. But uh, the SFC um, yesterday, it rejected that idea already, saying uh, publishing names of exchanges that are in the process of applying for a license may actually confuse or, or mislead investors. Um, do you think it has a point? And uh, what other suggestions do you have? I think there's a number of reasons that uh, the SFC uh, get that a quick response. But I would like uh, to uh, strengthen my points that uh, this course of information is very important. Like the uh, suspect list uh, just uh, released last year for this uh, exchange. Uh, but you can see from the list is too, too many, many uh, website in, in, in the list, over thousands. So the citizens, and it's a lot easier to identify what uh, the really high-risk uh, exchange or platform inside. I suggest them to can do a separations like uh, standard A, B, C, the most uh, popular in Hong Kong, maybe the class A's, and I think the numbers will not be over 100, maybe a few or less than 10. Then the, the, the citizen or investor can easily identify the risk level. But another uh, suggestion for me is the list of, which is approved at this, right now we have two exchange and some uh, really applying uh, the, the license can have a list. Uh, then the citizen uh, can know that uh, which is going to be uh, licensed or not. I think, uh, or make more list about those is rejected already. Then uh, I think this course of information is really, really important to all investors in Hong Kong. So, Movis Chan, um, you with the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Professionals Association. Did the SFC do enough, or did they? Was it too little, too late? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me for the program. Uh, well, I feel disappointed to the regulator. They make 
they should make the communication to the enforcement unit first. Obviously, they did not plan, and they just opened the Pandora box and passed it to the enforcement unit. They just want to get married to their big boss. They still couldn't find who is the big boss and couldn't freeze the big boss money. Okay, maybe they have excuse. We started for the furthermore public get into the scam. But I'm not talking about the regulators should not do anything. They should make furthermore assessment, advice and better plan before they take the action. Right. Um, Joshua Chu, you're a technology lawyer and you're chief risk officer of blockchain, of the blockchain firm XBE. Did the SFC do enough? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, in my perspective, uh, it's easy to actually criticize on hindsight. I think the SFC is trying to basically showcase Hong Kong as being a regulated and safe environment for trading of the with for the crypto community. And in this particular case, I think it should be emphasized that while we love talking about billions of dollars in USD terms, this is actually a very relatively small exchange. And if you convert it, it's less than 160 million USD. You can't even buy a super yacht that uh, a lot of oligarchs love buying. With with that amount of money, uh, so that having been said, uh, there are plenty uh, that we can see that there are large scales of victims in this particular case, and uh, 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 and one of the things that we see that is lacking both in law enforcement as well as in professional capacity is that uh, there should have been a lot more pre-action, uh, pre-announcement actions that should have been done ahead of time that could have really safeguarded these affected stakeholders. Uh, keeping in mind, prior to the announcement, uh, the SFC have already, without naming JPEGs, already said some uh, platforms are misleading the public and potentially have certain violations. Uh, that was uh, that circular was issued on the seventh of August this year. before this entire saga. During that whole one month period, because I used to be a litigator that dealt with complex fraud, uh, the, uh, what SFC or even affected parties could have done is a series of pre-action disclosure a- uh, applications to relevant courts, both in Hong Kong and abroad. Because uh, what the facts that we do know is that JPEGs have engaged in monetary transactions with, for example, KOLs locally. So uh, what could have happened is they could have gone to the court and say we need urgent disclosure of certain bank documents in order to pinpoint the person behind these monetary transactions. Because at the end of the day, despite all the hype saying we are living in a Web3 world, uh, everyone behind the Web3 space is still an individual on planet Earth, uh, very much tied in. So the question is whether disclosure applications were made ahead of time. And if the disclosure applications had been made, another thing that could have done is preservation of assets. This is where I also did, did a lot of work in. Uh, what would have been useful if uh, is that an urgent freeze application be uh, be uh, for court order freeze of relevant financial assets be made prior to the announcement naming of JPEGs. Because what has happened now, as you have pointed out rightly, is JPEGs did a lot of action that's quite fishy, such as raising 
the administrative charge to 999 USD just for withdrawal of 1,000 USDT. Uh, uh, prior to the announcement, there might be some, uh, there might be a certain degree of certainty that the assets could have been consolidated in one centralized location. Uh, the fact is, by basically throwing, uh, uh, as Mr. Chen said, uh, making the announcement so uh, so rapidly without taking all the pre-action, is that the money could have been dissipated. Now, of course, uh, uh, we. Uh, but, uh, not meaning any criticism, I think uh, there is still a lot of things that could happen because we're still in very early stages. Um, uh, as a criminal litigation lawyer in the past, uh, what we have seen is a lot of cross-border collaboration. Just because an individual ultimately might not be located in Hong Kong doesn't mean there's no recourse. Uh, in a lot of, uh, for example, drug bus operations, it's actually a collaboration uh, between law enforcement of Hong Kong police as well as a foreign police like Dubai police in this case might be very useful. And this is actually one of the areas that Hong Kong can really shine at because we have such good relationship with our Middle Eastern partners. And if we, ha if we deal with this matter quite uh, in a very structured and very uh, methodical manner that can actually help resolve this issue, it might actually boost confidence on coming to Hong Kong as a fintech hub because FTX, for example, when it collapsed, no one has any recourse. In fact, uh, SBF tried fleeing to Dubai as well. Uh, so that Do Kwan and the people behind Three Arrows. But by leveraging our relationship with the Qatari and uh, Dubai governments, this can really help Hong Kong shine at the end of the day. All right. All right, sir. Uh, Joshua, I'm going to um, go back to you in a moment because I know uh, lawmaker uh, Johnny Ng, he has to leave uh, very soon. So, so just uh, a final question, Mr. Ng. Mr. Ng? Yeah, I'm here. So uh, just now, uh, Joshua Chu, he, he was saying that uh, all the action that's been taken in this incident is uh, hopefully to show that uh, uh, Hong Kong is, uh, is, uh, has a regulated and safe environment for a crypto trade. Um, do you think uh, this incident really demonstrates that? Yes, actually, I believe the, uh, we, our current uh, regulatory stream is uh, sophisticated and competes for the uh, virtual assets exchange provider. But uh, we can see there's a loophole in this case of the OTC offline ones. Uh, they even uh, don't need any license to operate a, a crypto exchange offline, while those uh, OTC will reach a number of uh, normal uh, general publics. So that I think uh, this case, why so many people are trapped in debt and also why the KOLs can leverage the offline uh, <coughs> uh, Fly shops to uh, do a lot of education classes, uh, which make more and more uh, people to become the victims. So oh. I think we can review the law. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Johnny, um, who's been uh, helping some of the victims, and he's obviously with the Legislative Council. Thank you, Mr. Ng, for joining us this Thank morning. You. Uh, back to you, Joshua Chu. So you were saying that um, the failure to freeze the assets and basically find the money trail before naming JPEGs. Does that reduce the chances of the victims recovering their assets? Uh, not necessarily. I have done complex fraud cases where the money was dissipated, but it, uh, after uh, criminals tend to be lazy at the end of the day. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so if you basically engage the right professional parties, we have been able to basically recover huge amounts of assets despite the fact of very complex laundering techniques. And the beauty about uh, about uh, crypto is that if it's crypto. It's always recorded on the blockchain and you can definitely trace 
and freeze accordingly. Now, I would say that Hong Kong's regulation is actually quite comprehensive, and I don't think there's a loophole for OTC companies as with these high-profile arrests, because if they have violated relevant laws, it's going to basically uh, – we will be making those arrests, as we can see, and it really closes the gap. Uh, it's actually uh, – so what – what we are seeing is there's going to be overlapping of jurisdiction between different law enforcement agencies in Hong Kong. And this is a very good opportunity as well to demonstrate interdepartment collaboration within the local level, basically, to resolve this case. Uh, at the end of the day, regulators are also human beings, and this is a very good opportunity to gain experience. And I will have to say, Hong Kong's law are actually very well written. I've tried reading the U.S. security law, and it looks like I'm reading a Shakespeare uh, a piece of uh, writing in the past. It's very confusing, and Hong Kong is actually quite clear and succinct when it comes to how we draft our legal instrument uh, documentations. Okay, well, joining us in our Admiralty studio is Jamie DiBiazio. Um, he's the editor of AMTD Dickfin, which is a digital finance publication and research group. Good morning, Mr. DiBiazio. Good morning. Good morning. Um, what do you make of the, the uh, arrest over the JPEGs? Was it was it too high profile? Was it too little, too late? No, I think the arrest of the KOLs was uh, a very powerful signal. It was the right thing to do. Um, of course, those people have to be presumed innocent, uh, but uh, the allegations are strong. Uh, if this is going to be a crypto hub or a center for digital assets, um, then there has to be clarity around what's allowed and what's not allowed. And I think the, I mean, uh, listening to the other speakers, there could be some criticisms of how the SFC has handled this. I'm not an expert on that. But I think they want to make sure that going forward, there is a, a clear sense that this is a, a place where there's rules and uh, you can prosper if you follow them. If, if we are to talk about uh, tightening the, the rules, what would you like to see? What, what additional regulations? Do you think it's necessary? I don't know if we need a lot more regulation around treating retail investors in crypto. The challenges in this industry are more fundamental and get into the weeds of the structure of the industry itself. That's a, a long conversation. I think in terms of retail investor protections, Hong Kong has probably got the best set of laws out there. This is probably the place where we're testing uh, what is best in class. Mofus Chan, what do you think? Does, does this case um, highlight Hong Kong's ability to operate as a you know, cryptocurrency trading hub? Uh, I think the current should we say the system has just effective on uh, beginning of June. Uh, they have much more the consultation about uh, the cryptocurrency, what they call uh, empty money laundering and counter-terrorist financing amendment bill. And was discussed many, many times, and our association also have uh, submitted our uh, consultation reply to them. We agree to that. Uh, what additional regulation do you think would be helpful? 
I am agree to SFC what they are talking and the government. They are looking for AML, empty money laundering. They, SFC are applied much more. It's equal to nowadays in security industry and future industry, asset management as well. They are doing the same things and also in the international standards. And also, but just now uh, we're talking about the KOL's matter. KOL or STAR are not equal to uh, us. The, in working in financial industry, they are not licensed person. They did not take any due diligence. Okay, they don't know, and what is the risk assessment is okay. They only know how to receive the money, and say how good to the product. Okay, even the KOL told you, he sold a value of twenty millions property and bet all into the crypto. How yeah. do you know it's real or not? Okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, 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 the obvious case that comes to mind would be the Dogecoin, right, with Elon Musk. The, you yeah. know, the, the people made a huge amount of money in a very short period of time. And now the many well-educated and young people, they doing the cryptocurrency, they do not uh, doing the security market, okay? So it's not a surprise. Many young people and well-educated will get lost into this crisis. So, you know, like the chief executive was saying, people need to be more educated about how to trade crypto. In your, in your view, Mr. Chan, um, what should people know? What should be investors be wary of? Uh, you, let me say, this is a lesson for the public to trade uh, in the regulated or licensed corporation uh, since the licensed corporation under the supervision of the SFC and the investor have to have a certain level of protection under the regulatory information. And uh, for public, just like what I say, even the KOL saying what matter, you have to make your analysis for yourself. And uh, Joshua, I just want to go back to you. I mean, just now we were discussing whether there needs to be more regulation. Um, what's your view on that? And also, I mean, is there really a need for more regulation or in this case, is it uh, partly because of the grace period, the one-year grace period, one-year transitional period that was involved? Uh, I mean, is that the real problem here? Um, uh, first of all, I don't think you can uh, do what Gary Gensler is trying to do in the SEC, which is regulate your way to perfection. It needs to be a balanced approach of both regulation, enforcement, as well as education. And keeping in mind, you are quite right, we're still in the grace period. We're still accepting application until uh, the February, February 24th of 2024. So there is a, uh, so we have always, uh, we shouldn't be jumping to conclusion that JPEX is definitely a scam. We don't, haven't heard that side of the story. Uh, and there is uh, you're rightly right, rightly said. Uh, there's a lacking of education, not just for the layperson though, but even for professional services as well. Because prior to the legislation, uh, we used to be on the opt-in regime, and there's only two exchanges that got their license, and uh, the, both exchanges uh, uh, didn't get it through engaging a law firm. It was through engaging a regulatory firm, ProSynergy, that uh, that really got us that uh, that far. So, uh, and this is a very novel and new area where we see even the lawyers themselves need to be educated. And it might, it, it, uh, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that it might be entirely possible that JPEG just simply have engaged very poor quality legal uh, advice on, uh, on that, uh, in that respect. 
But at the, at the end of the day, uh, proper education of the public is also important. Uh, the, me uh, the measures that I m made about how um, how pre-announcement actions could have been made uh, actually doesn't just apply to regulators and law enforcement. Uh, affected stakeholders can similarly apply to the courts for both disclosure and asset freeze order to preserve their assets. And this goes for the KOL, in fact. The but they did. I mean, that's how this case came about, because thousands of people started complaining. That's why... Yes, but thousands of people have started complaining potentially in the wrong jurisdiction because they're all located in Hong Kong. But this is a platform that never operated within jurisdiction. And uh, this is why cross-border collaboration is also imperative. Uh, because at the end of the day, our regulators can't really do law enforcement outside the bounds of Hong Kong. And this is why we have entities and collaboration groups like Interpol uh, that really helps. In fact, most complex uh, wire fraud involve cross-border police action to be effective. Okay. Um, well, we're coming up to uh, 9.30 now, and let's have a look at the weather. It's mainly fine, apart from a few isolated showers. It's very hot during the day with a maximum temperature of about 33 degrees Celsius in the urban areas, and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. There'll be light winds. The outlook is for very hot weather during the day tomorrow. Uh, right now, the temperature outside is 29 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity, 80%. <laughs> And here's the news with Haley Yip. The hospital authority says it hopes to establish regular exchange programs between local and mainland doctors, saying that a scheme allowing mainland doctors to work in Hong Kong for a year has proven successful. More than 80 professionals arrived in Hong Kong in April under the Greater Bay Area Healthcare Talents Visiting Programs. A professor of economics says an Oxfam report indicating that Hong Kong's wealth gap is widening could be misleading. The study said the richest 10% of families now have a median income almost 60 times higher than the poorest 10%. And Azerbaijan says it will continue its military assault on Nagorno-Karabakh until Armenian separatists there surrender. Officials inside the disputed territory says 25 people have been killed since fighting broke out early yesterday. I'll have more news at 10. Before taking tutorial classes or enrolling in courses such as commerce, language and computing provided by private schools offering a non-formal curriculum, think about whether it is really necessary. If so, check whether the school is registered with the Education Bureau. Read the course and fee information carefully, pay monthly and never pay the course fee in one lump sum by any means, including credit card. Keep formal receipts. For details, visit the Education Bureau website. The Occupational Safety and Occupational Health Legislation Miscellaneous Amendments Ordinance 2023 is in effect. The maximum penalty has been raised to a $10 million fine and two years imprisonment for serious contraventions. Employers, employees and other duty holders should work together to prevent accidents. Complying with Occupational Safety and Health Legislation is a shared obligation for employers and employees. Welcome back, back to Back Chat, and still with us here in our studio is Mofus Chan. He's chairman of Hong Kong Securities and Futures Professionals Association, and Joshua Chu, uh, a lawyer and risk officer of blockchain firm XB. 
E. And in our QGO office is Jamie DiBiasio. Uh, he's the editor of AMTD DigFin, which is a finance publication and mm. research group. Um, one of our listeners, Henry, has written in and he says, you know, people should never believe in cryptocurrency. Why exchange your hard-earned money for cryptocurrency? Why back up cryptocurrency? There is no such thing as easy money. Once you don't believe in such funny scheme, you won't fall into traps like JPEGs. Uh, what do you think, Joshua Chu? Is, are people just naive and trading in well, cryptocurrency? Uh, I mean, uh, this, this, uh, this statement actually echoes uh, what Gary Gensler said. Why do we need cryptocurrency? We have plenty of fiat money. But this also echoes 100 years ago when uh, a very famous post office um, uh, director at the, in the UK that says, why do we need telephones? We have plenty of messenger boys. So I think it's just uh, there's always a resistance to technology. But he did point out one very good thing. Uh, people, uh, he he demonstrated that he obviously doesn't know the application of blockchain technology. And in uh, governments like Singapore and Hong Kong, we, our emphasis is that blockchain technology ought to be applied in tokenizing of real-world assets uh, and not just simply used as a way, a gimmick to stimulate trade. For example, we now have the digital ownership token where legal contracts are written into the token. And uh, But on the other hand, we have a lot of cryptocurrencies, which are what we call air token because none of the legal instruments are embedded into the token and you can't basically take the token and enforce your rights in court. So education as well as proper application of technology is actually the key. And by having proper education, having a standard, uh, meaning all tokenization projects, for example, have an industry standards of having to must have regulatory as well as legal audits uh, because most of them just comes out with a flimsy legal opinion and that doesn't really help, plus the smart contract audits. These all goes towards guaranteeing uh, consumer protection. For manufacturing, we have the ISO standards. I think the same should apply within this Web3 space. And Web3 is actually just a small part to play in China's 14th five-year plan because Hong Kong is actually just simply upholding the central government's plan of turning our cities into smart cities in the future. And this is a painful growing process that we must undergo at the end of the day. What do you, what do you think, Mr. DiPiazio? What, what, what lessons should we learn from JPEGs in, yeah. in trading blockchains in general? I agree with the caller. I mean, it's true that there's technology and stuff, blockchain, the metaverse behind uh, digital assets. And I do believe that there's going to be a lot of positive change at the infrastructure layer in the financial services world using these technologies to do the same things but a lot better. But for a retail investor looking at this stuff, honestly, I don't see the benefit. You might as well just go to Macau because you can have dinner at the same time as you go to the casino. Um, the innovation argument, uh, you know, yes, we don't need um, all, all these outdated uh, technologies, we should be open-minded, but you know, Bitcoin came out about the same time as the iPhone. The iPhone has changed all of our lives, some negatively, but mostly positively. Uh, and what has Bitcoin really done in terms of changing our lives or creating really new ways of doing things that we can touch and feel? 
So at some point, some of these developments in the industry will get to the point where there is real benefits and real things that retail investors can participate in. But honestly, they'll probably be able to access those services through a bank or through some other kind of uh, provider that's got... Uh, and in Hong Kong, because we have this licensing regime, we have a good chance of being able to shape better what that looks like. But the what retail investors can do today in crypto, in a licensed way, is quite limited. They're limited to spot. They're limited to just the top coins. Um, th the custody requirements are stringent. There's an insurance requirement. So uh, it's, it's keeping the guardrails on. Whereas professional investors, rich people, um, they, they have a lot more freedom, and, and that's fine. And they can continue to experiment and do what they want at, and take their own risk. Right, Joshua Chu, you've been there. You're shaking your head. Why is that? No, uh, there, uh, it's obvious that whenever we have new technologies that come out, certain antiquated businesses will go off business. Uh, the the beauty about tokenization is that it removes the third party risk. We saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank early this year. We saw the banking crisis multiple times, and I think that uh, that uh, the adoption of technology will actually face out a lot of these traditional, uh, uh, more traditional businesses that haven't really caught up and. And you can't really just simply say, I can just get the same business at the same old place. There's, of course, a lot of resistance to change. Uh, lawyers will be very resistant because you'll be cutting out all the legal drafting work that's done on paper uh, once you have done that. But the problem is a lot of these tokens are, at the end of the day, fat, uh, I agree, it's an air token. And that's not what Hong Kong is about. That's not what Singapore government is about. We always, uh, we have, uh, the MASF actually came out and say we emphasize that, say yes to innovation and the adoption of technology, no to speculation. The problem we are seeing is that people think that they can get rich quick, uh, fast, and these are not healthy. But uh, but uh, but the same doubts have actually came out when people talk, uh, spoke about uh, the internet. I don't think anyone is using dial-up today, nor do I think I, I'm still engaging anyone to transcribe my contracts onto clay tablets, which have been done in a very big industry 2,000 years ago. Uh, what do you think, Mofus Chan? Well, for the, let's say about the attitude to the regulator, it's difficult for the traditional regulator to supervise some new and innovative area without sufficient regulatory uh, framework and manpower, okay? But they don't know how to do and facing a new technology, okay? They are still using in traditional way. Once I request to the financial institution for special demand, they will obey immediately, okay? But now your enemy are invisible. You don't know who is the big boss, who is the shareholder, and no physical office, and all the staff uh, work from home. So for the regulator, you have to accept for new idea and do not using the old traditional way to take your management. But are the investors just being naive to think money will just fall out of the sky? Yeah, I think it's too lovely. Even say 20 or 30 percent of the UA is too good to be true. This is low fee lunch in the world, okay? Even the green bond provide four to five interest rate. But people should have some common sense uh, to think is it reasonable or not. So, Joshua, you know, um, these guys are saying people are, just don't know enough about 
crypto and you're saying you know th this is a way to go it's, it's inevitable that we we go into um you know this this form of trade uh what is a key message for investors who say mm, i would still like to try it Look, at the end of the day, uh, Hong Kong has always stressed that at every level when you're making an investment, uh, you have to do your own due diligence. And this has actually really been the message that came out ever since the Lehman Brothers era. Uh, the at rich principle, you have to be reminded that investment, you can lose your money. And this is something that have to be stressed upon. Uh, I don't think... Uh, uh, AUM percentage return should be a measure because we have seen traditional uh, uh, securities right now on the market with certain real estate companies offering double-digit returns as well because they really need the money. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so, uh, so. Uh, uh, you, but at the end of the day, those are high-risk uh, propositions, and you have to do your own research into it uh, because you can't possibly make an a, a, a informed decision based purely on speculation and market sentiments. You must know what the business is behind. Right. So how, how do you do your research into this? I mean, how can you tell what is legit and what is not? I mean, especially um, now that the, the SFC is not really uh, willing to provide a lot of uh, information uh, for investors. Well, I think what is legit or not is going to come out uh, it w because uh, Hong Kong, actually, uh, another thing that we have to remember is that the entire licensing regime is to attract not retail. Retail was never our market. You don't make money. You don't turn Hong Kong into a financial center by b targeting the retail segments. You turn Hong Kong back into a leading international financial center by targeting the professional investment segment, the professional investors from the Middle East, for example, all the hedge funds from the Middle East, all the hedge funds from uh, the Global South. Uh, this is actually what Hong Kong is aiming at at the end of the day. There's a reason why we are catering to professional investors. And we should never, uh, we should never really emphasis on retail because uh, uh, th that's all, where all the risk and as well as there's not, it's really not that big of the market. Market, even though those are the ones that suffer the most. What do you think, uh, Mr. De Biazio, if Hong Kong is to continue as a major financial hub, developing virtual trade and cryptocurrency trading is a must? I think it's useful to have a place where people can try to work with these tools. But the point that Mr. Chu is making is that there has to be some sort of use case that people should be educated and they should uh, not just be greedy looking for some short, quick buck. But that is the use case for crypto. Um, that has been the only use case for crypto. So until we get to a point where there's other use cases, and I think tokenization could become one of those. But again, that's something that's a, a license for, for institutions and accredited investors to work with. Um, then I think there's been so many scams and that if you're a retail investor, your starting point should be skepticism. And there are other ways to either gamble or invest uh, that are regulated and safer. And there's somebody who can, who the regulators can go find if there's a real problem. Uh, and I would say the re the reason that we have retail at all licensed here is because we created a system to license institutionals and accredited investors, which instead of protecting retail, just left them out to predators or to outside people, uh, of which JPEGs may be one. 
Uh, Joshua, we, Hong Kong currently has two licensed crypto trading platforms. Yes. Um, is that enough? Do you, do you feel that this, this particular case has put an impact on going further down that path, or do you think that it actually gives more confidence in developing this well, market? There over, uh, there, um, last I heard, there's over 100 applications right now, but keeping in mind, in Hong Kong, there's only one stock exchange, one licensed operator of a stock exchange. So you really don't need that many exchange for it to be demonstrated there is a value. But again, I think there there is improvement, not on the regu- regulation so much on the, uh, on the existing uh, financial side, but probably on the advertisement side, because uh, uh, what we saw JPEGs do is taking out essentially bus bench ads, targeting retail markets. You don't need that if you're targeting professional investors. And I think better, uh, a better, more refined framework uh, from the advertisement regulation perspective will actually help curb some of these malpractices. Uh, so, uh, but at the end of the day, there are use case, there are actually use case of uh, good tokenization efforts that does allow for rapid uh, uh, transactions uh, because you no longer rely on paper. And that is the way to go, I think, in the future. And we will see more and more uh, institutions adopting these technologies, which will actually showcase how we're leading the, uh, the trend in terms of proper application of blockchain technologies. We should, of course, I, I don't believe in cryptocurrencies. I don't believe in air tokens because at the end of the day, like what I have emphasized previously, the token itself have to have the legal rights embedded within it. It needs to be enforceable in court. So unless you can take the token to court and enforce your rights, it's not a successful tokenization. And that's where the gap is. It's all unknown territory to us right now. You're saying it's not happening now? It, it can it can become come to a point where blockchains can can be analyzed in courts, can't it? Yes, it can be. Uh, in fact, we have something called the Ricardian contract, which I have been having trouble explaining to fellow lawyers. Actually, the concept it came out in the nineteen seventies. It's basically a contract that's both readable by the human natural language as well as by a computer, making it legally enforceable because peer codes cannot be enforced. And there are case authorities on this subject, approaching on this subject. Uh, but we need to basically upgrade the entire uh, system, including the professional service providers, which is not up to par yet, which is why we're pushing so hard on education. Right, and I just want to go back just very briefly mm-hmm. to uh, Movis. I mean, um, earlier Joshua Chu was talking about how investors, they should uh, be more educated, they should do their research when it comes to uh, investment or in crypto uh, trading. Um, what's your view? I mean, how can we better protect these uh, investors or potential investors? I mean, sh- earlier we heard from uh, Johnny Ng, the lawmaker. He's suggesting that the SFC should provide a watch list for investors to, to tell them uh, which companies are about to be a, uh, a route to get their license. What's your, your view on that? Well, uh, some people will got some argument about that. But for my side, I'm agree to SFC should not disclose any license application process to the public. We don't know the final application result is passed or failed. Do you know what? Do you know that kind of financial institution are involving public interest? Uh, license are issued by the authority. Public are trust to the authority. Not only SFC involving to this application, police and the custom also have to take the background checking. So if not, otherwise we'll bring another scam cases. So that's why uh, on last month I was requested to the SAR government to reform the regulatory framework. Uh, 
That's it. Mm. But what, what about you, Jamie Biazio? Do you agree with Joshua too that if we regulate the way these things are marketed and advertised, take out the KOL, do you think that helps to protect investors? Yes, of course. Uh, the issue is, I think, what should we allow investors access to in the first place? But of course, um, there can be some rules around how these things. I mean, there's no licensing uh, around this. So, but if this is a financial instrument, it should be at par with, say, a fund. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning, Jamie De Biazio, um, with AMTD, and Joshua Chu from uh, XBE, which is a blockchain firm, and also Mofus Chan here in our studio. Ninety-five years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Jaap van Zweden, music director of the Hong Kong Philharmonic and the New York Philharmonic. To the listeners who tuned into radio with the 95th anniversary of RTHK, the public broadcaster of Hong Kong, I wish you a happy birthday. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Years. Stay, tuned Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Okay, welcome back. Uh, it's now nearly 10 minutes to 10. And we're joined by German Jenkins. He's a community director of the SPCA. And he's in um, our QGO studio. Um, and also with us is Max. And Max is a male mongrel and a rescue pup. Good morning, Mr. Jenkins. Good morning. It's actually Mrs. Jenkins. But I'm, okay. <laughs> okay, Mrs. Jenkins. Uh, so we're talking about bring your dog to work day. Yes, absolutely. What's a benefit for everybody, dogs included? Uh, too many. Um, as you know, uh, the SPCA has been involved with uh, pet inclusivity to support businesses and governments since the early 2000s. And uh, Dr. Fiona Woodhouse has been leading charge on this since then. But it's the first time that we've designed a very specific educational fundraising program to bring your dog to work. Uh, bring your dog to work day has been seen in, in other countries. Uh, how, you know, some people are not comfortable having dogs walking around them. They're, they're scared of them. How do you convince these people that is a good idea? That's why we've developed a very comprehensive service to uh, assist companies to implement this initiative, including site visit to make sure your office is safe for the doggies and humans, but also tutorial to tackle some of the challenges that you have just mentioned, uh, including dog training classes. Uh, and also, if companies want to take the experience to a whole new level, then we can also create uh, an employee, employee engagement day, uh, including um, pet marketplaces and things like that as well. And I think there are definitely strategies and policies that we can make in place that to make everybody feel included, especially if people that have uh, phobia or allergies, uh, that uh, we have some advice to uh, guide uh, uh, corporates through this uh, program as well. So you have Max over there. He's, yes. he's not really saying very much. <laughs> uh, has Have you brought Max to work? 
Yes, so Max is a uh, rescue pup at the SPCA, so we're very blessed every day to have animals around us every day. So for us, it's, it's not really a thing to bring your dog to work. So uh, he comes into our office uh, every day, uh, and then we socialize him. And I think because, uh, you know, some rescue pups uh, need socialization, so we help to uh, bring them out. So we had a great day coming uh, from Wan Chai to here, and uh, it seems to be a very smooth uh, morning coming to your office here. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is uh, the your first uh, bring your dog to work day. Um, what's going to happen? Will this be an annual event? Is it going to happen every year? And in future, will it expand to, for example, bring your pet to work day? Yeah, so um, this is an initiative that's here to stay. And we hope that uh, bring your dog to work would, would not become such a thing in the future. So companies may adopt it once a year, once a month, once a quarter, or every Friday. So it really depends on the culture that the company wants to promote. Um, and, uh, and and yeah, so we uh, we hope to be able to hold the hands of the corporations that want to uh, start experimenting, piloting this program. So uh, reach out and uh, we have more information to fill you guys in. Uh, and we've done a few of these events events before and there's so many benefits to you know spring smile to the people i think we walked in here uh your staff here in the studio already came here to uh say hi to max and we know that sort of scientifically uh according to research it can help uh increase socialization and workplace reduce stress bring a more relaxed environment but also in as well uh inclusion as well you know not many people uh everyone have uh, kids these days in hong kong and they may have a pet so you know when corporation runs a family day they may consider bring your dog to work as well you know i have two dogs they're called hamilton and skylar hamilton if you're listening i will never bring you to work because he does not behave well he's nervous around people if i have a pet if i have a dog how can i know whether that dog is good enough to bring to work well, you sound like you're absolutely amazing, responsible owner already because you sound like you know, you know what they're like. And I think that's what we also advocate. You were uh, saying earlier that you know Max is not saying much because I think he actually enjoys coming here, and uh, and not all the dogs will enjoy coming into work. So I think the owner have to make the first decision whether it's the right type of dog. Because if your doggy doesn't enjoy coming to work with you, then it's not really what we want to advocate. Because I think some dogs are more friendly and want to be around people and some are more anxious and just want their uh, personal space. So I think uh, this is also part of the program that we want to educate so that we have a balanced view um, that people can bring the right doggies to bring the right environment for a positive environment at work. You, you mentioned allergies earlier and some people are worried about hygiene also. They don't want dog hair everywhere. What do you have to say to these co-workers? And I think it goes back to uh, being a responsible dog owner. I think often when we talk about pet inclusivity, people have two biggest concerns. One is safety and then the second one is hygiene. So, I mean, preferably if the office can uh, have a not carpeted full, easier to clean would be better. But I think it's also down to the dog owner, you know, to take them for regular toilet breaks and not to forget, you know, taking them out. And essentially for the human, then you get to go outside and stretch your legs once in a while as well, which is actually good for good, good for our well. So we all know about the doctor dog program, you know, when the when the dogs are, are brought into school, sometimes into uh, um, elderly people's homes, um, it, it helps them socialize, etc. Tell us a little bit more about how this kind of interaction with dogs help people psychologically. Yes. Yeah, so um, as, as many research have shown that actually dog ownership has 
can increase oxytocin. So you basically is a happy emotional state. And I think in a work environment, uh, you know, enhancing sort of socialization, reducing stress is the obvious one that the uh, the data has suggested. From my personal experience, it actually really like uh, helps uh, lighten the day. And uh, as and uh, as we all say now that you need to bring your authentic self to work, and I think it also brings your professional self and your authentic self to work as well. And uh, what's even better is that uh, it definitely uh, brings you a few comical moments. So if you have a stressful office, uh, having an animal around actually changed the dynamic and the atmosphere of the day as well. And uh, I guess uh, in organizing this event, you, you must have uh, communicated a lot with uh, different corporations, different companies. What's their view on this event? And uh, uh, how, many, how many companies are actually taking part this year? Um, we're actually just launching the program in October officially, but we've held uh, similar events with other partners before. Um, and one of the uh, concerns or question most people have is, you know, how can I have it in a grade A commercial building? But uh, you know what? It has, it can be done, and we have done it. Uh, so there are some companies that we've worked with in the past that uh, that uh, that have came onto the program and have a very successful employee engagement day. So we were in Cosway recently, and then we were also in. Uh, uh, a grade A building in uh, Kowloon Bay as well. What kind of organizations are receptive to this idea? Well, some of our key partners uh, uh, on the program are, uh, are also uh, first adopter for uh, Bring Your Dog to Work, uh, such, such as Whiskers and Paws and Petterhood. Uh, and then the Hive is also joining us uh, tonight at a panel discussion at the American Chamber tonight. And we've also seen uh, other companies such as uh, One Degree, Hong Kong TV Mall, uh, Garage Society or DDB, an advertising agency that have held a Bring Your Dog to Work event actually before uh, we have created this program. So that's definitely uh, the, the trend is coming and uh, we welcome more corporates to uh, come on board with us. Do you have any that within these organizations, how many dogs are people expecting in a particular office? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the other thing that we were very conscious when designing this program is not to make it like a day, like, you know, wear your casual clothes today so every single person will bring a dog, then it'll be really crowded and then it wouldn't be very good for the doggy as well. And that's why we want each corporation to uh, design their own event uh, and, and, and can, um, you know, space out the event and then they can uh, create event at their own um, leisure. So um, any time uh, that uh, the company is... Um, it's, it's, it's happy to uh, organize such days. We'll be happy to uh, support them. How, how, what kind of support will you do? Give? Yeah, so first, th first thing we can do is go for a site visit to see uh, what we recommend in terms of hardware or um, things that they need to implement on the day. Uh, and then what we can also do is do a pre-event briefing. So we can tell the dog owners uh, what to prepare on the day and what to expect and how to introduce their dog to dog or dog to uh, the other uh, colleagues. Uh, and then also we can um, hold a specific tutorial ahead of the event to teach them, you know, how to set up their workstation uh, and, and how to and what to prepare in the office on the day. Um, and then in terms of the number of dogs, what we would recommend is uh, if you're a very huge office and have expecting a lot 
lot of attendees, uh, then you might want to space out maybe fifth floor, tenth floor, you know, by each floor. Uh, but also we would recommend that uh, companies may want to do it, you know, by the type of dogs as well, per size, so smaller dogs on one day and then bigger dogs so that you avoid any conflict. Uh, so we recommend maybe for a company uh, of uh, 200 people, you might want to have, you know, 10 dogs unlimited. And then you also will have a registration prior. So you have all the microchips, making sure that all the dogs are vaccinated, all the disclaimer, all the safety measures are in place. Well, um, and and uh, uh, is there going to be like any fundraising involved in, in this bring your dog to work? Is that yes, it? absolutely. Uh, I think fundraising is a core part uh, for the SBCA because only 1% of the funding comes from the government. So we're hoping that when the corporates sign up for the tutorial, that's a service that uh, we can provide for them. But we also welcome the employees to uh, do the individual fundraising as well. So we'll have a website launching in October and then uh, the employees can uh, raise funds very much like if you were running a marathon right. and I'm ask afraid, your friends I'm to I'm afraid we're fund. out of time. Okay. okay. Thank you very so thank you very much um, uh, from, from the SPC that was Mrs. Jamon Jenkins.